TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Welcome to the podcast. Today I'm joined by the fabulous Jude Blarot. And in this episode, Jude is going to tell us what she's had for breakfast, give us the lowdown on Grain 101, which I know could be a bit of a controversial topic with our paleo primal audience. But Jude shows us how, if you are going to include grains in your porridge, <laughs> grains in your porridge, grains in your diet then this is the best way to do it. And she'll show us how. We're also going to look at food culture, the value of food, um, and some of the best things that we can do for our kids. Um, Ju talks as well on a little spiritual note, which I love. She's totally talking my language. Um, She dispels the myth of the Nirvana lunchbox. Hallelujah. And she's going to tell us more about lunch and feeding kids in general. She's also going to tell us why it takes three to five years to really get the hang of it. So if you've been feeling like you're not succeeding and you've fallen off the wagon, then don't despair because that's all part of the journey. Jude's going to tell us why we can survive without coconut oil, why sweetness is not a dirty word, and why lifestyle is so important and how life seriously does not need to be an Instagram-worthy struggle. So before we jump into the um, interview today, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the Primalista license. My um, gluten and grain-free range of primal alternatives to the foods we love is a franchise opportunity and it's really geared up for those of you who have got a passion for whole food, who are into paleo or primal um, who love creating in your kitchen just like I do and just like Jude does. And for those of you who are wanting to have a business that you can run yourself, you can be the boss of, that you can do from home, um, yeah, and just really create a business that serves you. So if that sounds like something that you'd like to find out more about, please head to my website, primalalternative.com. Check me out on Facebook, Primal Alternative. I also have a closed Facebook group called Potential Primalistas, and that's for those of you who are wanting to find out a bit more, get a bit of a vibe for the culture, find out a bit more about me and whether you want to, you know, go into this relationship with me. I launched my brand, well, I've been doing um, Primal Alternative for close to three years now. I had great success producing it locally and just really noticed how it really made a difference to uh, my time poor convenience falling off the wagon um, community so I wanted to take this brand national so that I could help more people um, you know just make it more doable and sustainable and just be able to go and buy something really nutrient dense and wholesome and homemade from the local shop how good is that 
So I launched my brand on Boxing Day 2017 and today now is September 2017. No, hang on, I launched 2016, now September 2017 and we've got 13 Primer Listers, that's the cool name for the producers, 13 across Australia, which is phenomenal. I'm speaking to another six potential Primer Listers who are on the brink of sign-up or have got their application for health licensing with council, just hugely exciting. We are launching in the UK in 2018 and views to launch eventually in the States, New Zealand and, of course, the whole of Australia. My goal is to get 150 Primer Listers across our amazing country so that we can have between three and 500 stockists so that everyone in Australia will be able to get their hands on Primal Alternative. And now, here is the wonderful interview with Jude. Today I am joined by a very significant person on my individual whole food journey. This is a bit of a personal intro, so I hope I can get it out without bursting into tears. Um, but <laughs> 10 years ago, I became a mum and was faced with that really massive responsibility of making sure I fed this perfect human being the right food. I didn't screw him up and ruin him. And my quest to learn more about food, my really good friend, Kirsty, gave me a copy of this book, um, Whole Food by Jude Blarot. And it really was an amazing revolution for me in terms of how I saw food and really was my starting point a real food journey. I had the pleasure of meeting Jude in Swanbourne a couple of years later when she released this amazing, actually my favourite book, and I even managed to get a signed copy which says, For <laughs> Helen, Mike and Sam, may they be much joy and deliciousness at your table. And I have to say, over the decade, there really has, so that's great, Jude. I'm obviously joined by the that's amazing a lovely Jude Blarow. Jude is um, a Perth girl. Uh, used to live in North Perth, recently moved to Swan Valley. I see Jude as the queen of whole food. And in a world of fast food and instant gratification, Jude brings the joy and connection and community and nurture back into our food. Jude's been into whole food for over 25 years before the rest of us found out it was even cool. Jude is a passionate advocate for sustainability, ethical farming, and artisanals. Jude is a speaker, a cooking teacher, author of five books, uh, the two that I've mentioned, as well as Whole Food for Children, Whole Food Baking, and Whole Food from the Great OMG. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast. <laughs> That's such a lovely introduction. Thank you, Helen. But, but do you know what can I say that I just think – one of the most wonderful things to me that I heard in that was that, you know, I've been a part of your journey and I've uh, and that some of my meals may have been on your table and kind of walking along a whole food path with you. So it's a really lovely thing to, to think that we're forming community in a way, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much. Oh. Thank you for your work. And it's a pleasure. Thank you for being here. <laughs> now, to start off the interview, Jude, I'd like to find out what for breakfast. Okay, what I had for breakfast, I really like a protein breakfast most days. Um, I tend not to have, try and not to have carbohydrate in the morning, not because I think carbohydrate's an evil thing, but I like to have like 
a piece of cake or a scone or I don't know, something sweetish, yummyish for morning tea. So this morning for breakfast, I'm actually at the moment, I'm flying home this week. So I had really, I rarely have access to really great um, ethical, sustainable, good bacon in Perth. So, and I do here in Sydney, so I actually had that for breakfast. A um, bit of butter in the fry pan, cooked up the bacon, had a really beautiful biodynamic egg. And the tomatoes here at the moment are just amazing. Like, I haven't had tomatoes since last summer almost. And so I had a whole lot of these gorgeous cherry tomatoes and a nice big handful um, and the asparag- and I had asparagus as well um, because the asparagus is just coming into season here and the asparagus that I got at the market is just the most sweetest asparagus I think I've had. You know, different areas grow different things and the taste of, the, of that earth is a bit different. So that's what I had for breakfast this morning. Most mornings you'll find me having something along the line of ghee or butter in the fry pan if I haven't got ghee on hand. Vegetables, generally green, um, so silver beet from the garden, broccoli, asparagus now that asparagus is coming into season, uh, tomatoes, but generally veggies and egg. is Most mornings that's what I'll have for breakfast. Some mornings I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a bit sick of that, and I might have um, oat for breakfast mm-hmm. or, um, or or possibly every now, particularly in the warmer weather, I might have like black sticky rice or, or, or a nice pancake that's been soaking overnight. But in most days it's, it's egg yeah. and veggies. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, um, mm-hmm. our, my audience is predominantly paleo primal, um, but I really, mm-hmm. I really believe that it's a case of finding out what works best for you. And I do hear a lot uh, from the primal community that beans that are the hardest to get rid of would be porridge and rice. So if people did want to have porridge, there's a difference, isn't there, compared to like having... Uh, grains as you prepare them compared to like a conventional supermarket grain in a you know in a well, pack. Would you, would you, how about then because that's actually a very complex question. So how about we have a really good talk? Why don't we do a, like a grain one hundred and one? Let's do that. Um, and 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 because I think that one of the things that's happening at the moment is people are making decisions without understanding backgrounds or, or not the science of it but you know we've lost food culture and food wisdoms and so we are making decisions based on not a lack of knowledge this idea of grains being evil so to speak is and it's an area that i'm particularly interested in i i there are many aspects to digesting grains but saying 101 is that grains and legumes and seeds and nuts are all nature's seeds, okay? Whatever seed they may be, the seed, the seed of a sunflower or the tree, which we get nuts, nature has one directive to survive, and she's done that exceptionally well, and she survives through her seeds. So she packs those seeds with enzymes to protect them from from sprout or coming to life until conditions are right. Pointless having these seeds and having them all sprout if there's a drought. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. So she packs them with a lot of enzymes to protect them. Now those enzymes vary in different seeds, but overall those enzymes make it difficult for our human tummies to digest. Um, and in the case of grains, 
and to a degree, or actually not, legumes as well. So where you have carbohydrating grains, seed, uh, uh, grains and legumes, the other thing that you find is that when that seed very, very, very fresh, so like imaginable lottie bean straight off the bush, it's really moist, it, it's quite wet, and it's really easy just to cook and eat. But to store those sugars, what she does is she, she takes them from being simpler, shorter sugar chains, nature, I'm talking about, to longer chains, into longer or oligosaccharides or long chains of sugars, carbohydrate and fiber and cellulose, to store those sugars because that's the way they store best. Mm-hmm. Now, the longer our chains of sugar are, the more difficult it is for our human tummies to digest them. So... What happens is when we just fundamentally take a grain, a whole grain, and soak it, the first thing that happens is you've got moisture and the grain gets this this direct, ah, conditions are right for me to come to life. And you get, excuse me, you get a biochemical reaction where immediately those um, enzymes are released that break down those enzymes that are there in the first place that can make it difficult to digest. But you also get a reaction happening where those longer chains of sugars are broken down into simpler chains of sugars and are far easier to digest. A soap is a very, very different beast to a whole grain that's not soaked. And and when you soak that grain or that legume in warmth, like warm water in the sun or like in a warm position, what you do is activate lactofermentation. So all those good, amazing bugs that are everywhere go, oh, water, moisture, oh, food, sugar, because whether we like it or not, it's the basic form of life. And three, warmth. It's just like us humans. Sugar is a basic form of life. We require a certain warmth to be alive mm-hmm. um, and and we require moisture. And what happens is all those bugs are going to come to life and they're like, oh, my God. They start eating those sugars. They replicate. They make they, their byproducts are a little bit um, uh, lactic acid, so it becomes sour, and you get some carbon dioxide in the water as well. And those bugs will do things like break down some of those um, uh, more difficult proteins, like gluten. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And the other thing, so that's 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 what happens when we so um, we change it to a very different thing. But there's another aspect with all of nature seed and nature then goes, oh, okay, well, look, I don't really want animals eating all my seeds, consuming them so the seeds are or left for me to survive. Yeah. So what she does is pack them with a broad range of anti-nutrients or what we call anti-nutrients. And some of those things are um, tannins, lectins, acids like oxalic acid, phytic acids, and, and some of them are just simply the way nature stores certain things like phytic acid is, is the way nature stores phosphorus. And what happens when you eat them is that you don't get all the goodies in that grain because anti-nutrients make them not bioavailable. So, so what happens when we soak our grains in warmth and activate lactofermentation is that you break down a lot of those anti-nutrients. So that's grain 101. Okay, so to answer your question, and oh, I need to say something else first of all, is that grains are not an evil food. And and, and I would really despair that anybody would think that. <laughs> I've seen 
my parents' generation, uh, I've seen, and, and we've seen many generations that have grown up on grain and actually included white flour and white sugar and are probably healthier than we are today. There's a lot of a massive discussion about context that we could have as well. But what was I going to say? So, yes, so there's that. One of the things that's really critical as well and, and, um, and, and milk is you have to have good gut ecology. And mm. it's arguably one of the things that's massively degraded right now is gut ecology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think people are really aware of how critical gut ecology plays in, in where we can and are equipped and, and we, we can manage glutens and caseins, but there's a lot of issues going on today. So the best way to have your win, or let's say to have a pot, is, is to have it as close as possible to its natural state. So yes, you go and buy rolled oats, um, but if you soak those rolled oats overnight, they're probably going to be a little bit more digestible. But if you buy a whole oat with its inedible husk removed and soak it, it's a profoundly different thing because it's whole. The life force is still intact, so it hasn't been it hasn't been puffed or flaked or manipulated or bastardized or, or you know bastardized is a really good word or corrupted or, or the life force is no longer yes. intact and. And so when you have that grain closer to its natural state and soak it, it is remarkable the difference in how people can digest it and respond to it. So um, like black sticky rice in summer is such a wonderful whole grain porridge. Um, So yeah, to answer your quick porridge, I hope I kind of found my way back to that (laughs) question. You did, Jude, you did. And I I really like like what you said there. And I think that um, you're right, you know, we've been in grains for, for for a long time and um long time. But I think what we've what we've sort of forgotten I think perhaps around well definitely around my generation maybe the generation before that is how to prepare them properly and this is really the first oh, we're like the first without doubt we're the first generation that's just taken like brown rice and just eaten it like that you know just exactly it, do you know to do it is it it's absolutely very profound what you're saying there. It's like what has happened in mm. the last 60 years, and it would be 60 years, and, and it started in the 19 kind of years in Australia. And I speak a lot about this in the beginning of Whole Food from the Round Up, this idea of what nourishing wisdoms are mm. um, and what food culture is. And food culture, in effect, well, there's a culture of everything. Basically, in society, what we do is we pass along the wisdoms of staying alive to the next generation. Now, that would have been things like this is how you build a fire. This is how you build shelter. This is how, and food culture includes things like don't eat red berries, they're going to kill you. Don't eat oleander bush, it's going to kill you. Don't eat silver, uh, rhubarb leaves, it's going to make you very sick. And it also includes things like, you know, my mum possibly saying to me, um, when I'm a teenager and I'm going for an exam or going to school, no, a piece of toast is not a proper breakfast. You need a, you know, you need an egg. Now, mm. she didn't say to me, toast, refined carbohydrate is going to give you nothing but sugar. It's going to break down really quickly. Carrot burns really quickly. 
um, it's going to stimulate your insulin response too quickly. And then conversely, it didn't say to me, an egg is protein and fat. It's going to give you, it, it metabolizes in a very different pathway. It's really grounding. It's got really high quality fats in it that will feed your brain. But you learnt it nonetheless. Now, what's happened with food culture? Uh, and, and so food culture is passed on in the home, in examples I just showed you. Mm-hmm. It's passed on in the schools and by the government, so within school programs. So when I was growing up, we had raw milk yeah. provided to school. Yeah. It was passed on in, in, in religious aspects. Now, they're all these days, but no, I'm not a Catholic now. I grew up a Catholic, and it was things like, you know, thank you for the sun and the rain and the food that we eat. You know, it was like there was food culture passed along. post the 1960s and in, in probably 1950s in the US in Australia and I also believe lived through that time that the female revolution had a really massive role in this as well mm. and basically anybody now under 42 or 43 you rarely see it it's a rare time most of those women or, or people growing up in that time have a of uh, uh, entirely different food culture, it was it was lost in that time. So people generally over 45, 46, they can still remember their grandma or their mum doing this kind of thing. But under that, very rarely. And as you start getting to 30 and 20, no, nothing on. There's no connection for most people that there's a difference between having a piece of toast for breakfast or a Coke Zero for breakfast or a muesli bar for breakfast and a proper breakfast, which might be egg, vegetables, sourdough bread, or that, that what you eat impact. That, that is gone, Helen. It's, it's gone. It's very sad. And I think I might have just about two. Mm. I, I'm really lucky in that my parents cooked from scratch and, yeah. and my, yep. dad had a, my dad had a veggie patch. And yep. we were we were crankies. Like I was embarrassed yep. by my exactly. parents and their yep. their their food culture. But but having said that, um, I was also really removed from food in terms of you know all the meat that we got came from the supermarket in a plastic container yep. where yep. I had no consumer um, and all that kind of thing. But um, what I was going to ask you there is uh, the majority of people listening to this are probably around the same age as me. That's what I imagine the, <laughs> my ideal audience will be anyway. <laughs> and I think that the biggest question that everybody or the biggest pressure that most of us yep. mums feel is like, what's the best thing we can teach our kids about food? Big question. I, I think the most pressing thing now is that we need to teach our children and sometimes to a degree ourselves the value of food mm. and, and proper food. Now, I'm not talking about Instagram-worthy meals. Seriously, I'm, I'm not. I'm not talking about being vegetarian or God knows what. But nonetheless, it remains a primal function of a human body to, to have fuel and the right kind of fuel to run. It, 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 two and two are equal four, and and what we've been doing in the thirty years specifically, and just getting is is eating a diet that is not suitable human body, and seeing the ramifications everywhere. The basic reality of the human body is that it requires a large amount of fuel. Now, 
for some people that's a bit less, for some more. Um, and we could have a big discussion about Ayurveda and different body types here. But none, and, and we all require slightly different fuel. Uh, different bodies tend to match different things, and that's another very Ayurvedic thing. Mm. But nonetheless, we need to get back to is we need to learn the value of eating, mm. the value of food. And, and the kind of food that matches our body. So the value of eating, for example, you can only go along for so long in in rushing eating, grabbing a snack on the run, having a piece of toast for breakfast, having wheat bix for breakfast, having whatever for breakfast that's pressed and refined that has very little value so it might fill you up but it's not nutrient-dense. You know, maybe a muesli bar for a morning tea or, or a, a snack again for lunch or kind of thing. You can only do that for so long. And what the ramifications of that will be is everything that we see here, intolerances, allergies, illness, disease, osteoporosis, oh, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> anything. So, yeah. the, so number one, look, I, as you know, I'm I'm – I, I'm a, I'm very interested in how the physical body functions. But while I'm saying to you that, I'm also a really big believer we're a spiritual being having a human experience. So food has to be delicious to be digested appropriately and, and, and a joy and deliciousness is a large part of life. I'm, I'm not for a minute suggesting that you be extreme. What I am really keen on is that People really get that how we eat is is the basis of how our body functions on this earthly plane. It, you cannot separate them. So if you want to have energy, if you want to be clear thought, you want to cope with the things probably better that life comes your way or fight off bugs or that, you need to be kind of sure. You need to be spiritually at ease and balanced. You have to provide fuel for your body and the, and the fuel that your body wants and 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 understands. Right now, most of the food that's available out there, for example, a Tim Tam biscuit, is not in a format that your body wants. It, it's like. If you want a chocolate biscuit, which I'm a big fan of, you know, even even if you just so let's just talk about biscuits or buying a biscuit. So if you are buying most generic biscuits today, basically what you're getting is a large amount of chemicals and in or, or preservatives in the form of chemicals, flavours, etc. Your body doesn't understand them. And it's also getting carbohydrate in the way it doesn't really deal with all that really well, but nonetheless, that's probably the least of the issues. Um, even if you just went to Woman's Weekly and bought white wheat flour from the supermarket, white sugar, egg, butter, and vanilla extract, a good not an imitation one, you light ahead and your body's yeah. got a much better shot of understanding that. Yeah. So it's, it's like, um, you know, meat and three veg, great. Eggs, great. Veggies that are in season, good. Kind of, I've heard it referred to as eating how our grandparents did, or in my case, how my because I'm much older, how my how my parents and I grew up. Mm. It's old fashioned food, yeah. and when we didn't have access to all these industrially produced foods, like advice to you as dear listener is that if you can't make something at home, like for example, if you can't make 
puffed rice or if you can't make cornflakes or if you can't make whatever it is, don't eat it. Yes, great advice. Because it, it, will, it, it will be damaged. Mm. Yeah, I love, I love that, Jude. And I, that message that you, that you said there about if you just get the white flour and the white sugar and, and do a you know, yep. standard women's clear recipe. But you say that's one of the messages that, um, that really stuck with me back then is that making it at home, you know, mm. you're light years ahead of the rest of the population who's eating light years ahead. Stuff absolutely nothing to there's no joy there's no there's no joy to that at all and i love what you about the, the, the yes. food like it, that's building our immune and emotional to be able to handle life oh. well it's building your body so everything your body is a chem is a physical mechanical machine that is exceptional that requires the right amount of fuel optimally mm-hmm. yeah and and that's just, just the best thing that we can teach our kids um let's talk a little bit about like the food more on the food culture like you say so um you know like maybe i'd love to hear your opinion about getting the kids involved with shopping farmers markets setting the table i don't just mean setting the table getting the nice looks out but maybe decorating the table adding a candle having no toys at the table is can you tell us a little bit of family environment Oh, look, I just think everything that you've said is like one of the things that is critical for children, and when I'm saying children, I'm talking about they're still children 17 and 18. Yes. One of the things, so it's probably, you know, going back to my kindergarten days, one of the most critical things for children is that they know they're loved and that they belong. And... It's equally as important as the food they get to build this and run their physical body. And knowing that they're loved and belonged, when you are part of a family and you are expected to be a part of that family and take responsibility in that family is a very powerful thing. So I'm a big fan of that children learn responsibility. They, they, they take part in the family to make the family function. You're all in it together and togetherness and that they know that they're together with you and that they belong is so critical. I just, you can't emphasize it enough. So I absolutely believe that um, in anything it takes to run a family, children should be in dinner preparation or food preparation is Look, let's face it, it is a relentless task and and they need to be a part of that. And when yes. they're younger, that means that they're picking flowers to put on the table and to make that sitting down time a family experience and, and lovely, great. Put the tablecloth on as they get older. Look, my daughter was cooking a meal when she was 12 or 13 and I served was at home when I was younger as well. Everybody has a role everybody has a responsibility and there's a lot of things that happen at the table it's not just food culture that's passed on oh my god everything the unknowing of stresses of the day yes. um you know you name it where you learn how to talk you learn how to debate and how to accept someone else's opinion yes it's everything you said yes it's a beautiful um, um it's a beautiful coming together isn't it jude i know my absolutely when I was young, my mum, you know, both, uh, both my kids, both my parents worked full time. Obviously, I was at school full time. And, yeah. and mum said that a family yeah. that eats together. And she was right. And, yeah. and I've carried on that tradition it, with my family. And it is, it's literally, the, it's like the bookends yeah. of the day, the, uh, the evening meal together. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, you know, you said something really interesting there too and another little something that I'd say to you, to all our lovely listeners is we'd book it. Yeah. I would say to you, seriously stop stressing about a Nirvana lunchbox. Seriously, <laughs> it doesn't exist. It might be a Nirvana lunchbox to you in, when it goes in their bag, but it's probably going to get swapped at school, ditched in the bin so um, yeah. or whatever thing is to book in eating with what they eat before they go to school and what they eat when they come home from school. Yeah, that is so true. And I know that my, because I do make Nirvana lunchboxes, to be honest. I know, I know. for a fact because I'll send beautiful whole food to school and it'll come back. There'll be a bread stick in there, muesli bar wrappers. So I know that my, yep. it, and, and, you know, I, yep. I, I, I can't do anything about that. So there's no point being nice about and, it. And it's, and, but you can't. And it's, in a sense, it's also not your role to because, one of the things that a child has to do, they have to individuate. Mm. You know, it's like be around as a species if we didn't individuate from the from the parent. Yes. Um, and that's one of their primary ways in which they do it. So, you know, look, it's just, yeah, stop making the Nirvana lunchbox. But, yeah, so in, involving them, uh, look, I think one of the things I love about the country, and I'm on my way down to Albany, um, is that, there's a lot more involvement in the growing of food. If you can involve your child in the growing of food, well, basically what you're doing, that's another basic primal skill, you know, is learning how to grow food. Absolutely. Yeah. Critical. It's it's a that we pass on, but we don't anymore. So um, I'm a big fan of, of whatever you can grow at home that you do. And I also think involving your children in in shopping uh, is a great thing. And, and and my big thing about shopping or my advice is that you want to source your food as close as possible to the person who grows it. Yes. So, you know, if that optimally, that's a farmer's market. But even more so, it's a farmer's market where the farmers that are there are actually selling the food they grow, not that they've been to a market to pick up. Yes, good point. So, yeah. Good point. Source your source your food as close as possible to the person who grows it, and yet involve your children in that. Yeah, I love that. And something I heard you say on another um, interview was, and it was it really made me kind of go, ah, is that um, you reckon that uh, your whole food journey is it's you described it that would take like two to three years to actually. Oh, two to five, two to five oh, two years. Two to five years. Well, even more relief. Yeah. So it's not really, I think a lot of people um, can come to this way of living, just feel completely overwhelmed and maybe like do it really good from like Monday to Friday and then go, oh, it's too hard, yeah. fall off the wagon. Yeah. So what do you say to those people, Jude? I would say to you that that you are being too hard on yourself and it's like me. If I decided to think, oh, I think I'll go and learn to become a mechanic. That <laughs> 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 Reasonably, my loving parent would say to me, darling, this is going to take a while for you around this and to learn the skill, um, etc. so the skill becomes easier. It's going to probably take two to five years to, you know, it will take you three years of a university degree or a three years of a what would an apprenticeship. And when you yeah. leave an apprenticeship or, or a university degree, all you know is the knowledge, it's in your head, but it's not yet a learnt skill in your DNA. So it's exactly the same. When you are learning something new, seriously be easy on it and learn it one step at a time. So, well, I don't know about others, but I certainly learn in the sense that I have information in my head first 
but then you've got to get it into your DNA and learn the skill so it becomes a learned skill and it takes considerable time so be easy on yourself it's easily a two to five year journey Mm, absolutely I agree so there you go everyone you just rest easy Mm. with it as like yeah more of a marathon sorry more of yeah marathon than a sprint we're not just like on a you know two-week diet it's a it's a choice for life isn't it oh it's 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 not all but also the other aspect about that is that um oh one out of my head you know when i say this whole food path it's not a purist path it's not a fanatical path it's 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 a and i call what i do old-fashioned cooking with what i call my funky whole food thing going on and quite frankly i think it's a lot of common sense really So I'm not advocating to you a, a extreme path. What I'm advocating is that, look, honestly, even just, I tell you some people who I think are legends, Jamie Oliver, Bill Granger, simple, Woman's Weekly. Mm-hmm. So the Woman's Weekly have gone a bit crazy. They're kind of, you know, little bit extreme side things they're doing now. What those two boys are doing is cooking old fashioned food and and you could go to the library and get any of those books out and and can i tell you another thing if you're not got coconut oil in your kitchen you're going to be fine stop (laughs) stressing if you don't have chia seed in your kitchen you're going to be fine you know yes a green smoothie is not going to be the thing that makes you well no um it's like both of those, both of those boys are good, simple, sensible, old-fashioned. And if you kind of did a little bit of that, you'll be fine. Absolutely. And it, it sounds so easy, you know, um, when you just think about, mm. you know, like whatever you call the way that you eat. And I'm really not for boxing things off. It's really about getting mm. back to food that, that's right for humans. And, and really the easiest way to yeah, say that it, is it is. plants and animals. That's, it's simple. Yeah, stuff. meat and veggies, fats. Grains, leg. Look, really, what nature provides you yes. is in generally where you live, like Australia or something like that. So, what nature provides you is generally going to be good for you. Mm. Um, what industries provides you is generally not going to be good for you. Yes, yes, that's true. Absolutely true. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I just want to move on to sweet treats because um, I remember. Oh, some messages which really resonated with me was that um, we, we you know, it's not like we deserve deliciousness and sweetness in our lives. There is room and um, it's okay to enjoy sweetness in your life. Now, I know, I know that a lot of my clients, a lot of my listeners feel like they've foot failed. They, oh, I was doing so well and I crave something sweet. And oh, you know, now I'm throwing the um, baby out with the bathwater and just go on a five-year binge. But that's not, that's not cool. Um, but there is yep. room for sweet treats in life, isn't there, Jude? I wouldn't even know where to start. Can I just – sweetness is not a dirty word. I, I think, I, I think again, it's this idea of context. So as and, – and I think that's where I'd like to start. Okay. I grew up with white flour, white sugar, cakes in my lunchbox, Cakes on the weekend, dessert, lovely, and and so did heaps of people. And as I said, those generations are probably healthier than we are now. What we've seen happen, particularly in the last twenty years, is this move towards eating 
highly processed, industrialised, corrupted, fractionalised, refined food. But what's also happened at the same time is not only that that's the kind of food that we're eating, but we are expecting ourselves to live in ways that we've not really lived before, like work lots and lots of hours, be really busy, don't have time to eat because, you know, honestly, eating is not really important. The work that you do and what you achieve is far more important. So we see really we're in a perfect... We're in a perfect storm at the moment. Mm. And and what we're seeing are the ramifications of a perfect storm. So when you have people that are living a high-powered life, they're, they're earning big money, they're working, what, 10, which is an average time these days, 10, 12 hours a day, not having time to eat, um, eating refined foods on the run, it doesn't, you do not have to be a genius to go, it doesn't bode well, okay? It's like, it's just like so common sense. And so they get these people going, oh, my goodness, well, you know, look at this, I'm really unwell, I've got an autoimmune disease now, so I'm going to quit sugar because sugar's evil. It's not necessarily sugar that is evil, and sugar's a big conversation in itself. Mm. But if that's the kind of life you've been living, then you're going to end up in trouble at some point. Yes. When you are living a life that has got some degree of balance of it, like probably working eight hours a day and not 10 or 12, but you're, even if you're eating 10 or 12, that you're, you're fueling your body with the kind of fuel your body needs and you're not existing on a junk and refined food diet, then you've got a better chance. But you cannot do both. So what we're in this thing is we we look at one thing and we demonise it. It's not your fault. Putting a sugar tax on things is going to make no difference when we don't understand how to eat or what to eat. Mm. It's not going to make any difference. So sweetness isn't a dirty word. It's more about what the rest of the context of your life is looking like. And, and I'm a real believer that um, when you deny something, no matter what aspect of your life it is, that energy will burst a different way. Absolutely. So when it's you, like human behaviour, isn't it? You can't – as soon as you say, you I can't, can't have that, your body's like, I want it, I want it, I want it. You're going to want it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then it builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up, and you do this binge, yes, okay? Yes. And you can look at it in any way, gambling, whatever, anything, it'll burst out. Mm. So with sweetness – what is wrong with sweetness in life? The sweetness of your baby, the sweetness of whatever it is, the sweetness of life. The, you know, life isn't, there are hard times in life, but it's not this whole big kind of struggle. There are sweet moments in life. Mother's milk is sweet. Yeah, it's sweet. Um, and I can tell you a process of how children learn is the first thing when they're hungry is the you know that they're, they're breastfeeding, and they don't learn. The learning doesn't start till they're satiated. Mother's milk is sweet. Mm. They're snuggled. Mm. They're held. Then they're ready to learn. And so, with sweetness, my advice is to plan it into your week in a balanced, wholesome manner. I love something sweet in the day, and so I would generally try and have have something. Uh, I like it generally in the morning, probably about 10.30. It might be leftover pudding from the night before. Um, I don't always have a dessert every night. 
but if I do, I might might be an apple crumble or a berry crumble or, or I don't know, whatever. But I might have that for morning tea or I might have made a, a, a slice or a loaf or a cake at the beginning of the week. When I have that, at some point during the day, that need has been met. Mm. I'm happy and I can move on. Yes. And, and, it's, and, and I think... Yes, sweetness is not a dirty word. Um, it's a, and deliciousness as well as a really important aspect of, mm. of how you digest your food as well. You know, our, our, our physical body requires certain things uh, to function, you know, as, as I've mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. but we are a spiritual body as well. So we nourish our spiritual body, being touched, being loved, sweetness, delicious, joy, mm. um, and and. What happens in how our bodies function is that they function through both. You know, like the physical body, I only have to say to you, having how a baby is conceived and born, we go, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. What is happening is you've got the spiritual and the physical working together. And that happens in every part of your body as well. So digestion is really related. Physical process of digestion is reliant on the spiritual principle of realness and deliciousness. So you need both. Love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. (laughs) So what would you say um, to the woman who totally agrees with everything that you're saying, but she feels like she hasn't got time to sit down uh, in the sunshine and and really enjoy her lunch because she's going to get behind on jobs? Uh... Right, this is a good conversation. <laughs> um, just thinking where to start. So, what I would say is that what matters to you in your life, and and yes, you can be as super organised as you can. Um, you can there are lots of strategies that you can put into place, but honestly, I would say to you now, as a woman of sixty three, what is it that's really important to us in our lives? And um, maybe you know, trying to think of the right word. I, I know that, that they're saying, "Well, that's all very well and good, Jude, but I have to work because I have to have the income coming in, and my boss let me do this." the very least what I'd say to you, what I'd say to you is primarily, optimally, if you can, reassess your life. Do you really need that extra money coming in for that job? Can you shorten workings? What is it that really matters to you in your life? Work that out. If you can't do that and and that you just have to do this, pack yourself at least a nutrient-dense lunch because if you don't do that, and you don't find a way to strategize to do that. And that's all the kind of things that my work is. It's about how to strategize this. The new online program, I'm, I'm getting the online classes happening now. Fantastic. And hopefully that will be up by the 23rd of October. The first one that I'm wanting to do is get organized for the week ahead because this is this time issue, okay? Yes. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm going is getting my work online. But – Primarily, if you can't do that, you will only go so long without having a nutrient-dense lunch. You have got to fuel your body. If you don't, 
Yes, you'll keep on working, but you'll get mm. sick. You will be you won't cope mentally as well. You open yourself up to all the mental demons. You will be a prime candidate for the flu. Mm. You will be a prime candidate for tripping over and breaking a bone. Yes. Um, you will be tired. You'll be cranky. You won't do your job as well. What I would suggest, if it was me now knowing my body at the age, say to my boss, look, I know this is the world we live in. I work better if I can just take 15 minutes and just eat this or, or have an opportunity to 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 go and get it because I haven't had time to make it. It will get better work from me. And I, I absolutely work better that way. And any boss with half a brain would go, yeah, present it to them that way. Yeah. And in all the big companies, they're not dumb. They know this. In fact, in the really big firms these days with very high-paid people, they have caterers there, proper caterers, mm. feeding people proper food because they know if they don't, they're going to lose those workers because they're going to be sick or everything like that. Well, that's so very I, I would say to hear. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, very big movement towards it because they know, and a lot of them in the really big firms, they'll provide taxis for people to get home as well because they know that if they don't look after their their staff they're going to be sick they're going to be mentally unwell you know all that kind of stuff mm. so that would be my approach okay i'd say do everything you can including primarily strategize if you can't do that and you're still not getting anywhere to talk to your boss because i promise you as an employer your boss doesn't want to train someone else. Absolutely. Talk to mm. them. You know, Absolutely. Work out with But you them. know what the most ironic thing is, Jude, that the majority of the people mm. who um, that I see that um, won't make time um, to, to just stop what they're doing and each are actually stay-at-home mums. They just feel oh, like they, oh, they, God, need to, they need to keep going. Um, even with the lifestyle things, you know, I've you know, suggested – Yep. Uh, your meditation and they're like well I, I feel guilty meditating I should be cleaning the toilet I think it's more like a do you think it's yeah. more like a self-love self-worth thing Jude oh I think it's do you know I, I kind of think no I think it's much deeper than that mm. self-worth thing I, I think what it is is that after the female revolution there was this real thing that if you are not a high achieving, having a great website or a great online business or got a great career or you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, or you're, you've got, that you haven't achieved anything. It was very different before that. And I promise you, stay-at-home parents or things like that, they used to have rest. They used to do things because they knew that if they didn't, they wouldn't be able to keep going. Yes. You know, like the oxygen mask, you've got to give yourself oxygen first before you give to the children. And it's like I don't think it's a self-worth. I think there is a massive pervasiveness for women particularly um, that if you are not doing something or achieving something, but then, yes, that is that you, you're not – you are kind of worthless and not where your worth lies. Um, so I think that's a lot of the root cause of it myself. And and I say to yourself, you have to look after yourself because if you don't look after yourself, um, um, you, it, you're not going to be able to look after anybody else. And the other thing I'd like to say here is 
One of the things I don't see as many these days, but I can tell you prime demographic for women that I used to see that used to come to me like would be in their 40s, 50s, was this denial of self, this joy and sweetness in life for themselves. I've got to do this. I've got to push myself. I've got to do this. I'm not going to allow myself to do something I like. Or even the most basic thing of feeding myself yes. is that, that I, well, yes, it is in a sense I'm worthwhile and kind of self love. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of really big issues in society at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think really you've nailed that there. It, you're right. It does go a lot deeper than self-love and a self-thing. I think it really comes down to the yeah, the high cheek. Like, in fact, the woman who gave me that example, I won't say name, but the woman who gave me that, look, I'd love to meditate, Helen, but I feel like I should be doing something more important, like cleaning the toilet, is a classic. She's a cleaver. She's a classic high achiever. A classic high achiever. And, and that's what it is. It's this. Yeah, it's like that. It's, it's like being just a mum isn't enough to warrant yeah. allowing yourself to enjoy your well, lunch. Well, that thank you to the female revolution. Mm. And, and, and look, I'm all for it. Don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of benefits for it, but by golly, there's been a lot of downsides to it as well. Mm. Um, um, did you get my text, Helen? Uh, let me just check. Yes, great. So... <laughs> I like the way you move. That works really good. All right, so we are just going to, before we just wrap up, I've got a couple of um, readers' questions. Sure. But yep. before I just love before I dive into the readers' questions, I know this is slightly a massive topic, but if I could just get you to give me a brief um, view on your opinion on veganism, vegetarianism. Okay, a very brief view. Vegan is just ridiculous. No society has existed on that. Now, we could have a really large discussion, a really probably hot podcast on that, but you're going to need animal fats. That's just, you know, again, two and two are never going to equal five. It's just not going to happen. Much as you'd like to pretend or love it to, ain't going to happen. Vegetarian, fine, absolutely. Um, but I would say... Um, and, and there are different times in your life that it suits being a vegetarian. I've had my moments of that as well. But probably when you're building your female body um, or your boy and building your body, that's not the time. When you're having a baby, not the time. So some t can if you're a child, don't do it. They're building their body uh, for their life. And I would say, um, and you've got to remember, Carbohydrate is the most difficult thing for humans to digest. And, you know, hello, it's what you're going to be relying on a lot. Um, animal fats matter. Yep. They really do. You don't need lots, but you need them. Perfect. That sums that up nicely. Thanks, Jude. All right, so finishing mm -hmm. two questions. So this first question is from mm -hmm. Marisha, uh, who lives in Albany, in WA, where you're coming to yep. do your masterclass very soon. Love and, and Marisha, Marisha, Marisha Risha's question is, which is the kitchen tool that you cannot live without? Knife, a good knife. You have to have a good knife. It will drive you absolutely nuts and send you to Greylands if you don't. <laughs> and and I see that a lot with women too. Women are freaked out about knives. Um, I talk about that in one of the modules that I'm going to do on the new online program. Um, and next year I'll do more on knives, a good mm -hmm. knife. And it's got to be sharp. And it's got to be sharp. Absolutely. Nothing l l more frustrating, less frustrating than, than a, a good knife. It'll change your life. 
a good knife will change your life. <laughs> um, and the final question from Amy Galanti, who's also in Albany. Her question is, for busy working people, how many hours do you recommend to spend in the kitchen every day to be able to eat well and cook from scratch? Okay, so Amy, what a great question. Basically, and it sounds terrible, it sounds like I'm just doing a huge promo here, but that's the the, the <laughs> online course that I'm doing uh, in October, get organised a week ahead. But fundamentally what I say to you, it's not about how much time you put in a day. It's how you strategize and organise yourself. As a basic idea, I would say to you that generally you're going to probably want to put three or four or five hours in over the weekend to pay you dividends during the week. Um, it's, it's absolutely all about how you strategize and, and organize yourself. And there are lots of really cool things you can do. Um, but at some point, doesn't you're going to have to put some time in. Um, but when you put time in, and, and the week flows smoothly. You're just like, I'm like to myself, oh, my God, I love you, Jude. Thank you so much. It's like, you know, when, you know when we buy ourselves a really comfy bra or a really comfy pair of shoes yeah. and, and they're not all that attractive sometimes, and you, but you, every time you wear them, you think, oh, my God, I love these shoes. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's such a comfortable bra. You know, and it's like so you think, oh, thank, I'm so glad I did that. That's loving yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, I love. I do the same too. So and I so say for example, I've uh, cooked once or eaten twice. I put it in the freezer when I get it out of the freezer. Next time I'm like, thank you, Helen of the past. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's like oh, I'm just so grateful to you to that to that past self. That yeah, love it. Now, Jude, I know that we have to let you go. Uh, you have a busy schedule. So grateful for you taking time out today. But before- it's been so lovely, Helen. Hours. I know. I'm going to see in Albany and yes. and to all the listeners I'd so love to meet you and see you yes. and and if I can help you on your journey so if, if you're able to come to class that would be lovely and we can tailor it a little bit to what works for you and I'd love to help you where I can come along check out my website best way to stay updated with what I'm doing is to be subscribed to the newsletter um, and Helen you'll give them the website I think wholefoodcooking.com.au but that's it what I want to do is help you in your whole journey. Beautiful. And I'll have all of the links to your upcoming classes in Love. Albany and Gerald. And we'll be able to get your online course through your website, Jude. If there won't be anything there as yet. Right. But if you subscribe to the newsletter, best then what, what I know. Perfect. So we're still finishing Beautiful. things off. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jude. I am so grateful. It's such a pleasure, Helen. Been so lovely talking to you. I can't wait to talk for 20 hours. We will. I'll see you very soon. Thanks, Helen. Bye. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.